This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. But that was my first encounter with this giant prehistoric fish. And it's like, when you catch one, it's it leaves such a deep... I th- and I think that this... I Honestly, I believe, not just for me, but anybody that takes the time to catch one for themselves. There's something like infectious about the experience of, of holding that animal. Oh, I can, it is, I can it's, imagine. It, yeah, it's, it's totally, I don't know, it's it's really hard to describe. It's like when you're looking into the eyes of this thing, it's surreal. It's mm-hmm. like peering into the window of like a forgotten time. This is the Tom Rowland Podcast fascinating stories to amaze encourage and inspire you in fishing fitness and the outdoors and we're brought to you by black rifle coffee i started this podcast as a way to connect with my friends people that i admire and respect and you it has been a learning journey that's made me a better person a better fisherman a better father and a better athlete i'm so happy that you're on this journey with me and i'd love to hear from you with show suggestions guest suggestions or questions the best way to get a hold of me is through text you can text 305-930-7346 for the fastest response but if you prefer to email you can send that to podcast at saltwaterexperience.com that's a dedicated email address just for the show if you like this show you can show your support by posting about it on social media and tagging me text the link to a couple of friends that may also enjoy it and subscribe and leave a five-star review if you feel like i've earned it the website is tomrollandpodcast.com and that is where everything lives all past shows you can go and listen to any show you can look up all the different shows that we've done both the how-to tuesdays the full links and the physical fridays they all live on tomrollandpodcast.com and the social media is tom underscore roland r-o-w-l-a-n-d on instagram or you can go to our big account saltwater underscore experience i hope to hear from you soon so now let's get on to today's show 
My name is David Graham, and you're listening to the Tom Rowland Podcast. David, what's going on? How are you? I am doing great. Man, I, I appreciate you having me on here. This is You've had me excited all week. Yeah, good. Uh, to I'm be able excited. to get on here and talk to you. So I, huh? I'm sure you get that a lot, but you know, I man, I started watching your show when I was, I think I was like a, a senior in high school, or it was right when I was going into college. Uh, so I, I've been a fan for probably since the inception of Saltwater Experience. So nice. Been watching you for a long time. Well, I appreciate that, man. Thank you. That's that's awesome. Um, well, I've been excited about this too because you're you're fishing for a fish that. Um, that I've always wanted to catch and never have, and that is the alligator gar. I have um, the only time that I ever have seen one of those, kind of the size of what what you showed me in your pictures, was um, in Louisiana, and I guess they have them there, right? Um, yeah, yeah, they're they're pretty prevalent in Louisiana. Yeah. I think they got like a high they got a high volume of them there. Well, we I never fished for them there, but we didn't fish for them either, but. We would um, we would go there and we would uh, pre-fish for these um, redfish tournaments. And when we would go there, occasionally you'd pull into an area and there'd be all these jugs out where people were jug fishing. And we didn't know what they were fishing for, right? So there's all these jugs in the water and we like, what are these things? And we see one moving and I said, take me over there. And we go over there, and I'm I grab the jug. It's like a you know a, a liter bottle of soda jug, right? Right. <laughs> and somebody's painted it, and um, I just wanted to see what was on the end of it. And so I thought it would be redfish, um, and because that's what we were looking for. I was like, there, I never I didn't know that you could do this, you know, jug fish for redfish. Maybe this is an illegal operation. I don't know what it is, but we should probably figure out what's going on here. So we either stay out of these areas or we. I don't know. Maybe this is that. Maybe that means this is a great area. If this is where they're jug fishing, maybe this is where we should target our tournament. So anyway, I grab that jug and I start pulling on it, and it was obviously something pretty big. And uh, what came up was a giant alligator gar head uh, that, that they had hooked on those. And I don't know if that was what they were targeting. That was the only one we picked up, um, and I promptly let that go uh, because it looked like a sea monster to me. But I guess that's what they do. But you're fishing them differently, right? Um, right. Yeah. I, I don't know, and I don't know what it would have been scarier to me seeing the alligator gar come up or grabbing a jug line in deep South Louisiana. Because <laughs> I don't know who's in the wood line watching down there, but that's uh, right. And, and I know, I don't know. Them, them guys are pretty territorial, from what I gather. But I'm sure they are. Yeah. We had no intention of taking anything. I just wanted to see what was on the end of it. Yeah. There's there's such a culture of commercial fishing down there they were probably fishing for alligator gar it's actually a, a really popular food fish there um and a lot of people i've never had it myself but i mean i i stay in that ring of people and and by all accounts those that actually go through the work of getting to the meat because you got to use like 10 snips really just to get through the armored hide but apparently like if you almost take it like a back strap the quality of the meat is is excellent from what what i gather they actually a really really good table fare so but i mean the cajuns you know they know how to cook anything so. sure yeah wow. i've always heard gar balls like they they make the meat into, yeah. into little little balls and and deep fry it i guess yeah you can make i mean patties gar balls you can, you can do that with just about any kind of fish but uh 
Yeah, the, the jug line thing's not really my speed. Um, I mean, it's it's a predatory fish, so mm-hmm. you can catch it on rod and reel. Uh, and I don't know, I, it, it, that was the one that got on my radar probably before I even cared about fishing. Hmm. Um, just because, you know, when I was a kid, I was all about wildlife. I mean, I'm totally obsessed. Uh, just as a, as a little kid, I was... I was always at local creeks. I mean, you know, that's that's most boys in America, but I, I feel like it was like to a degree that like it isolated me from making friends. Like mm-hmm. <laughs> I was always alone doing it. And um, it was my oldest brother, Travis. We were living in Oklahoma at the time. We moved my whole life. We were just moving all around. Like every couple of years we'd move. But at the time, I think I was probably around 10 years old. And uh, my oldest brother, Travis, uh, he was telling me about this fish called alligator gar that he saw below the dam at the at Grand Lake. Which, um, thinking back, there aren't, <clears throat> there's no alligator gar below Grand Lake. He was seeing long nose gar, but mm-hmm. it was the first time I heard the name. I don't remember where I first saw the image of one, but you know that's one of those fish where, you know, when you see a seven foot long or eight foot long fish that can grow over 300 pounds in fresh water where people are swimming <laughs> where you're used to catching bluegill and, and bass and it's got armor plated scales and these giant teeth and like a head structure like a some kind of sea serpent. I mean for a kid that that captures the imagination. And I was like, oh my God, what is that thing? And uh I knew from that day I was like, one day I've got to see one of those things in person. So that was on the radar way early on, but it wasn't until geez, I don't know probably another 15 years later that I actually started fishing for them or actually caught my first one. I think I caught the first one in, in 2010, but, uh, was that, yeah, on, it's, was that on purpose or, or an accident? Oh yeah, no, no, it was right out of the gate. So I, you know, I don't always, I didn't always have the, the access to them or the resources to catch them. But right when I graduated from the Citadel, uh, it was like trip number one. I think it was within two months of graduation. Uh, me and the same brother, Travis, uh, we, you know, we kind of plotted a course where we thought we could find them. And we went down to Texas for, uh, I don't know, it was like, we were out there for like three days, just fishing, uh, camping. And when we caught them, but we only caught little ones. Mm. So it was like, but I mean, a little alligator gar, you know, you catch a 50 pounder and it's small. It's yeah. a baby. And it's yeah. like, well, you know, where else can you say that? I mean, to me, I was like, I was like, this is incredible. This is huge. And it was only a quarter of the size that they get. So, uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I You know, there's certain and, – and you probably have that one fish that's near and dear to your heart, but there's there's something, like, awe-inspiring about holding that fish and, and looking into its eyes and just – once you kind of learn the history of them and how long they've been here, it really – uh, drew me in. I think it would draw anybody in. But um, well, that would it, be it, my next question. What do we know about them? How old are? How old is a fish like that? That you know that's closing in on three hundred pounds. That's that's. Do we know age much wise? About yeah, that they, I think their lifespan is. I, they might top out around, and I might be wrong. I'm not a biologist, but they don't get to hundred years old, to my knowledge. I think it's a you know at a fish that size, you're looking at a fifty or sixty year old fish. Um, so they get they get old, but to me, it's the unique thing about them isn't necessarily how you fish for them because 
you know, at its core level, it's putting a bloody chunk of meat on bottom and, and waiting on them to pick it up and eat it. It's, it's not a highly technical style of fishing, but it's more so the allure is in like the encounter with the animal mm-hmm. because, you know, there's different, you know, you categorize fish differently. And that one is almost like it's, it's not even on the same wavelength as what you typically think of a freshwater fish. It's like, it's in its own category of its own, its own beast. Um, but to me, <clears throat> the fascination is in like the history of them. I mean, it's a fish that developed during the late Jurassic, early Cretaceous period. And everybody says that, you know, any conversation you hear about alligator gar, it's kind of like there's certain bullet points that get rattled off casually. Oh, they're an air breather. They get big. They're uh, prehistoric. But that, to me, like you, you can't just gloss over that. Because when you say something came up in the Cretaceous period, this is something that has, you know, a, a, a paralleled history with dinosaurs, which by default means that they survived the catastrophic event that killed 70% of all life. That's plants, birds, if there were birds at that time, all the reptiles, dinosaurs, most fish, it wiped out the majority of all life on earth. So to me, the curiosity is like, well, why did that survive? Like Mm -hmm. this thing survived that. And I find that deeply interesting, deeply fascinating. And I, you know, I get that way about all of our like prehistoric species. I have a, a real affinity towards the survivors because I'm like, well, if this thing can survive dinosaurs, uh, the asteroid that took out all this life, assuming it was an asteroid, an ice age, continental drift, um, habitat alteration by man. There's so much that happened during the time that they kind of showed up on the evolutionary ladder to where they are now. It's like, well, that's what I want to put lines in the water for. You know, that, as an angler, that's what I want to do battle with. And like, you know, it, it may sound corny to some people. I feel like me and you, you know, I listen to your stuff all the time. I, we've got a lot of crossover interests. And nice. um, I was a high school wrestler, all right. a huge MMA fan, even before I started wrestling when I was a, a little kid. But to use like a fight analogy, you know, <clears throat> and you would probably agree with this. When you talk about skill level with someone who fights, it, it's it's – I think it's widely accepted that the highly technical fighters with the most impressive set of skills are the lower weight classes. It's a, it's the smaller guys that mm-hmm. don't rely on power, but it's speed and application of techniques. And it's just like, like, it's a beautiful thing to watch, but everybody knows. And the general consensus is that the baddest man on the planet is the heavyweight champion of the world. Mm-hmm. And I kind of categorize fish the same way. And so our national champion, like in North America, the biggest predator that we have in freshwater across the board is the alligator gar. And I, I feel like that's something we should take pride in. Like we, we need to be <laughs> taking our heavyweight champion and kind of bolstering it up because on the global landscape, every continent, every country has its, you know, its heavyweight champion. Mm-hmm. And I know that, uh, you know, I'm kind of the same way with you to where the Arapaima kind of speaks to your heart in yeah. a certain sort of way. But, you know, South America's got the Arapaima, Diparaiba, Jau catfish. Africa's got 
the Goliath tigerfish. It's got, uh, you know, what's the other ones that Africa has? Uh, Nile perch. Mm -hmm. That one's, yeah. I mean, I've got my bucket list, so I, I, I'm just going to sit here and rattle. But every country and continent has its. So for us, I was, I'm like, you know, on that global arena, that's our fish. So to me, I'm like, well, then the question becomes, and what's kind of frustrating to me as, you know, predominantly freshwater anglers, why is nobody chasing this thing? <laughs> and, and, and now you see it a little bit more. But, uh, you know, when I was first starting to look at it, it was, you know, people are saying, oh, that, well, that's a trash fish. You know, you, you don't want to eat that. I'm like, it's 200 pounds. Yeah. <laughs> what, what, what are you talking about? Um, so it, it boggles my mind. And it, to me, it's almost inexcusable that the American angler with any sort of adventurous bone in his body would go to his grave before at least checking off that one. That's a low hanging fruit. As yeah. far as I'm concerned, it's not a hard fish to find. It's really not a hard fish to catch. There's some challenges, but it's not, you know, in the terminal tackle. It's not in like the gear you're using. It's not, it's not, you know, it's, it's just not one of those fish that's really going to challenge you as a deep thinking angler. It's the ability to catch bait. And then it's uh, the wherewithal to deal with some of the environmental challenges. Cause it's, it's, they exist in really rough neighborhoods. Mm -hmm. I mean, they, they kind of exist in areas where people don't want to go. It's not beautiful landscape. You know, it's Texas ranches or Louisiana bayous. It's dark black waters in the middle of, Cajun country, mosquitoes, biting insects, extreme heat. In Texas, it's cattle ranches. It's filthy, dirty, muddy water. Uh, so, you know, aesthetically, I mean, beauty is an eye of the beholder. When, when I go alligator gar fishing, that is really probably 50% or more of what I enjoy out of it. Because, you know, you get out there and you lay baits, and then it's just waiting. And like, you know, you're, you're looking around and there is wildlife everywhere. Hmm. Every time I go after these things, it's, you know, you're seeing pigs crossing the river, white tailed deer here and there, snakes swimming by I mean, there's a lot to me. I, I like it. I don't know. There's, there's like a rustic beauty to it that yeah. draws me in. I, I like that grind. I like the parts that are uncomfortable as weird as it sounds, because you know, I've gone after them many times and I've got great stories because <laughs> we don't do it like the easy way. Um, I've never, I'm, I've always been big time, like minimalist approach to my fishing. Some of that is just simply <laughs> finances, mm -hmm. but I do the most I can with what I have. And I take a lot of pride in that. And if you took any time to look through my photos, you see, I, I, I fish the majority of my time fishing is out of a canoe. And I remember um, just to kind of highlight maybe a more detailed story of chasing these fish. Uh, that first year that my brother Travis and I went, you know, it was like, yeah, we caught them, but it's like, I kind of look at it the same way since moving to Florida as I look at tarpon. I've lived here for four years and I haven't caught a big tarpon and it like, it eats me up. <laughs> uh, and I've, I've caught the baby ones. I caught the juveniles. It's fun, but it's like, uh, and people ask me if I've caught tarpon yet, I still say no. Right. Um, and the alligator gar was the same way. I'm like, eh, you know, I, you know, I caught a 20 pounder. I caught a 40 pounder, but 
that doesn't count. But it was uh, it was 2011. We went back down there again, and it, it was like three or four days on the Trinity River, which is you know like the famed mm-hmm. river for these things. Yeah, that's what I hear. That that's the spot. Yeah, and and I'll kind of dive into why some of that is. Um, but uh, you know we we fished out there for again it was like three or four days, just not catching them. But it we were driving back to uh, Oklahoma where he where he was living. Uh, and we crossed over the Red River. And I remember I was so like frustrated that we didn't get one. And while we were driving over the Red River, you know, I'm, I'm like, you know, I'm looking down over. I'm like, you know, there's probably alligator guard down there. I was like, we have days left. Um, so, you know, I'm, I'm on my phone, like looking at Google. I was like, are there alligator guard in the Red River? Like, well, they're in there and they're in Lake Texoma. And there's no dam between where we were and Lake Texoma because it was, you know, basically the portion that fed in. Mm -hmm. So I was like, it makes sense to me that they might be in there. And at this time, like the Red River, it, it, the water level, the Trinity River is the same way. Like there's massive fluctuations in the river level. But at this time, when we drove over, it was like, it was like straight drought. So we were like on a whim. You know, I'm looking at Google Maps. I'm like, is there access down there? Let's see if we can just find – if we can get remotely close, I'll hump it with mm. a canoe on my back for a mile because I don't. I hate it while doing it, but it's like I need a good story at the end of this. <laughs> yeah. So I'm like, <laughs> I, like, I always we, – we always do things the hardest way for some reason. I don't know why. My brother likes to call it Graham style. <laughs> and my wife's like, no, that's called stupid style, but it, they make for the best stories. So on a whim, we're just like, well, I, I think I see potential access here. We ended up like we had to have been trespassing. Like <laughs> we had a four wheel drive. We drove across like cow pasture across like unmarked dirt roads. And we found our way near the river. But when we got out and we kind of hiked our way through I think it was just straight up game trail or maybe cattle trail. I don't know what it was. We made our way to the river. Unfortunately, we were about 40 feet in the air on a rocky bluff and it was just a straight down drop. Mm. And we're like, like, Oh my God. But the thing was, you know, it gave a good vantage point and we start seeing these gigantic fish rolling like hundred pounder after hundred pounder after hundred pounder in this sharp bend in the river where that's, you know, that's typically where they live. They like access to deeper water. Yeah. And on those rivers, you know, sometimes it's miles and miles between deep holes. And the deep holes are always either, you know, where the little tributary creeks feed in and it kind of washes out a hole or it's the sharpest bends in the river because when it floods, it just carves the bank away. Mm-hmm. So you see a lot of these big bluffs on these rivers. A lot of the bluffs are just straight up mud. Uh, because those rivers come up so high, they become downright dangerous. I mean, the, you've probably seen the, the images. It, it happens like every couple of years, these giant catastrophic floods in East Texas. And it just, I mean, the water just rips land away. Just just peel trees, everything. Yeah. So when the water levels down, you see cars in the water. Like you see <laughs> like street signs, part of somebody's house. Uh, but anyway, so we're up on this bluff and we're like, well, we, I guess we're climbing. So we had some rope uh, in his car, and we ended up just tying it off to canoes. We had two, we had two canoes, uh, you know, on a two-by-fours that we had, like, bungee strapped to his 
racks on top of his on top of his vehicle. Yeah, and we just tied ropes to these canoes and lowered them down the bluff. Then we essentially like climbed down or rappelled down this bluff, which is is silly, you know. I think it was later that year or the next year we found like access like 200 yards down. So, <laughs> like, of course we, you we did. Just, we could have just walked in. Yes. But um, you know, I don't know. I I liked that part of it though. It's like we went through hell to get down to this area where probably no Habati had fished and I don't know how long because there's not a lot of put-in points. You can't set up boat ramps on these rivers. They're, they get washed away. Right. It gets so nasty and flooded. They either get washed away or when they flood, so much mud and sediment settles on top of them, the, the ramp's gone. Mm. So, like, the only way to get in there is by doing that kind of thing. Uh, uh, gosh, I, you know, so many memories coming back. Did uh, you catch them that first time? Yes. On that Red River? On the Red River? Yeah, the, the very first time. And it was, uh, it was one of those trips where we've been fishing for almost a week on the Trinity prior to that, Not you know, catching a couple of small ones. Then we go through hell on a whim to go off the beaten path and lower into the Red River, which is, at the time, not even a blip on the radar as far as, like, an alligator gar fishing destination. Some people didn't even think they were in there. Uh, but we went down there, and it was unbelievable. Like, when you see a fish in fresh water that's seven feet long, eight feet long, breaking the – it's spooky. It's, like, yeah. it's almost scary. And I'm like a kid, like, and I still get this way. Uh, my, my nerves just get shot. Like, when I see that, I freeze up. I forget what I'm doing. I don't know how to tie knots. <laughs> I get caught up in, like, looking and not getting the gear ready. And I, I couldn't believe what I was seeing. It was every it was every few seconds these things are rolling. I was oh, my God, they're here. Like, we're going to do this. Like, we still have bait in the cooler. I don't know why we didn't throw it out. Uh, but anyway, so we get down there, and uh, we fished for – we had some hours to fish. And it didn't make sense to me. We had four lines in the water, and and they were rolling right on top of where the baits were. And I was like, "Why aren't they eating?" It was, it was like, incredibly frustrating. But uh, it was right near sundown. We've had so many of these trips since then, where it was like, bust your ass for a day, two, three days, no no bites, and then it was like the last hour of the last day. The sun's going down, and we use these electronic bite alarms, which is a, a lot of fun. I actually ha I have one right here. I don't know if you can see it. Yeah. Okay. That's like an example of one. So it's like it's like the European style bite alarms. Uh, and I'll explain those in a little bit. Just once we kind of, you know, I, I want to talk about, you know, what people can use if they go and try to do this yeah. themselves because it's, it's an easy DIY trip. It really is. Uh, but we heard the tones of the alarm, and there's something about. Hearing that alarm when you're alligator gar fishing, it's really, it's like frightening because it's frightening in the realization of the potential <laughs> of white uh, of what might be below. Right. You know, it could be a it could be a, a, a over ambitious ten pound gar that's picked up your bait. It could be two hundred and fifty pounds. You have no idea. There's zero visibility in the water. What about All you know is your, it Seems like catfish would be there too. That does happen. I haven't had a lot of issues with that. I mean, you're just in a Big chunk of bait. The uh -huh. big blue cats, I mean, we would get them occasionally. Uh, the big blue catfish will pick them up. So what kind of bait time. are you using? Are you using, like, chicken or, uh, or no, or No, no, no. Uh... That's a great start to the conversation. We're going to take a short break and get right back to the show in just a moment. People will try that, like, poultry and things like that, but it's you need to use fish, mm -hmm. and it needs to be 
fresh bait. So there's a lot of, I want to dive into some of the misconceptions about alligator gar because it's, it's important. Um, it's fun to talk about the sporting qualities, but at the end of the day, it's a species that's heavily persecuted, heavily misunderstood, a lot of myths and, and falsehoods behind them. And I do want to clear that up, and we will. But no, uh, we, it's, it's carp and buffalo. Usually there's a fish, you know, y- you may be familiar with them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, like, it's, it's basically the U.S. version of a carp. Right. It, they they kind of have the same niche in the environment as a carp. And by way of just convergent evolution, uh, the environment's dictated that they, you know, I mean, they evolved on opposite ends of the earth, but they look very similar. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's buffalo and carp. And that's really predominantly what they're eating anyway. It's what they're familiar with. It's what they want to eat. Uh, but we would catch those either by cast net or, or rod and reel. And I had some of we had some of those in the, in the cooler. Uh, but anyway, so it's either chunked or filleted. Depends on if there's like turtles and stuff. You know, sometimes a fillet is better. Sometimes a chunk's better. Yeah. But anyway, so we had those out there, and. Uh, Finally, the alarm goes off, and it's just like you know, man. Maybe it's a maybe it's a little. There's so many bit. There were so many big fish rolling though. We didn't see any small ones rolling. They were all big. Every single fish that rolled was over a hundred pounds. Wow. So, uh, but I ended up tying in the fish, and it's like, you know, it's it's an awkward fight. I won't say they're the most overwhelmingly powerful fish. It's just like a it's like a an awe inspiring animal to see yeah but they will jump and that's the exciting part because it's a, a you know when we first got eyes on this thing uh i don't remember how big it was i think it was like right at seven feet but it it was like full breach out of the water wow. and my brother uh travis he's just the best fishing partner he's real big on like taking pictures of everything filming everything and we don't have fancy film gear we have like you know a little small yeah cheap camera <laughs> but he actually got a he got a photo of me as the fish jumped it's one of my favorite pictures because it's you know the sun's going down i'm sitting there holding and i got this look on my face i'm going <laughs> <laughs> my eyes are wide my mouth's open because uh i don't know i i screamed probably something profane but uh but we got it in and well we didn't know how to handle it we didn't have proper gear i think we found a towel on the bank and just you know, he got in there and wrapped it around its head with a towel and pulled it in. Uh, but that was my first encounter with this giant prehistoric fish. And it's like when you catch one, it's it leaves such a deep. I th- and I think that this I honestly I believe not just for me, but anybody that takes the time to catch one for themselves, there's something like infectious about the experience of of holding that animal. Oh, I can, it is, I can it, imagine. It, yeah, it's, it's totally – I don't know. It's it's really hard to describe. It's like when you're looking into the eyes of this thing, it's surreal. It's mm-hmm. like peering into the window of, like, a forgotten time. Well, this, I, I know exactly what you're talking about because that's how I feel. I've always said, like, you know, catching a tarpon, my favorite part's grabbing it by the face. I like that part. That's yeah. Some people don't like <laughs> it. They just want to break them off and, and be done with it because – but. I, I like it, and just like what you're talking about, you feel the strength of that fish. You feel this this connection to the fish that that you don't feel through the fishing rod. When you grab it, and that thing is stronger than you are, it is an amazing feeling. And then 
you know, the same thing for the big Goliath grouper. Like, you know, the fight of a big Goliath grouper is, is it's, it's okay. But right. the real thrill for me is to see that fish close up, to touch it, to, to see, like, you know, you've got a largemouth bass and a Goliath grouper have similar draw, jaw structure, right? And so you have a two-pound largemouth bass that has this thin little lip, and then you see the, the Goliath grouper lip, and you can barely get your hands around a mature Goliath grouper's right. lip, right? And it's... And you're looking at it going, wow, that's kind of the same, but really different, you know? And, and largemouth bass have these tiny little rows of teeth, and, and the Goliath grouper have actual real teeth. And, and it's just like, it's just such a giant, I guess it's a cousin, I don't know, it's a similar fish in, in right. saltwater and freshwater, and, and then, you know, or, or even just a regular grouper or a gag grouper or, or any kind of grouper. And you're like, wow, this is similar but way different and and just to touch that fish and to hold it is is that's my favorite part of the whole experience yeah that was uh that was one of the first fish i wanted to go after when when i when we ended up moving to florida that was like <laughs> there was like a short list of like top fish that i wanted to catch uh and for me goliath grouper was like i it was like top three i've mm-hmm. got to catch one you know just you know you want to catch the big fish right well, some people do, but but like you said, you know, a lot, there's a lot of fish that have a, a trash fish reputation. Um, I don't agree with it. I like I like all fish, and especially the ones that bite, because there's plenty of days as a fishing guide where, you know, it's tough to to catch what people are wanting to catch or the glamour species or whatever. And if you can go out there and you know, on on those same days, you might be able to catch a whole bunch of Jack Cravel that'll fight real hard and have an incredible right. experience if you're open-minded to it, or Goliath Grouper, or Alligator Gar, or whatever it is that, that is biting, and for whatever reason, the other fish are not biting so much. And yeah, you, that... you see it now, like, in the Rocky Mountain West, or where a lot of people are um, going down uh, past the trout water and fishing for carp. And at first... People were, you know, it was almost a joke. And now some of the anglers are like, well, this is actually more fun. They fight better. They're bigger. Uh, there's nobody, you know, the crowds are up river. Like we're out here doing this by ourselves, and it's really, really cool. So they, you know, they almost turn into a, a carp angler. Some people have. Um, right. There's nothing wrong with it. I don't, I don't, I don't agree with the tra- trash fish thing. I don't, I don't think there are trash yeah. fish. Yeah. That is, uh, I mean, I I stay real tight in, like, they call it, like, the rough fish scene in freshwater. So, like, just multi-species fishing. I, I don't mm-hmm. have necessarily a preference for fish that get called trash fish. I mean, because I love, I go bass fishing all the same. But um, I always wanted to kind of have that multifaceted approach. I don't think I'm great at catching any one fish, but I like to be well-rounded. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, I want, so it's like a, every fish is like another opportunity to measure your ability to study something and catch it and and for me the, the trash fish thing has always kind of made me cringe because mm-hmm. i go so far back with that term because uh, you really hear it a lot with with gar especially but <clears throat> when you're an independent thinker or you haven't like it's a grandfathered in mentality i think because what happens is i look at it like this you take a child who doesn't know one fish from the next to the state aquarium and that aquarium's got 
a largemouth bass, a striped bass, a walleye, a trout. Not that all those would be in the same environment, but you know, just you know, you know where I'm going with this. Mm -hmm. And then an alligator gar. That child is going to be fixated nine times out of ten, probably ten times out of ten, on that alligator gar. It right. it it draws the imagination and it pulls you in. Uh, but from there, that spirit, unfortunately, somewhere along the way, gets killed, and sadly, it's a lot of times killed by your dad, your mm -hmm. uncle, your grandpa, yeah. your whoever your fishing mentor is, because the prevalent thought is that, well, those things are nasty. They're dangerous. They're terrible. And where a lot of that started with, with a gar, just specifically to talk about how that started with gar, is it wasn't until like the early 1980s that, um, you know, science was really starting to come out and uncovering the truth behind the fish because Prior to that, the early 20th century, they were heavily, heavily persecuted, and there was intentional federal campaigns to eliminate them, really? to, to kill them and destroy them. Why, oh, yeah. why did people think they were so destructive? Well, you got to think. It's let's say you're in a Louisiana bayou, mm -hmm. and you know that is, and, and this is the analogy I like to use because the alligator gar is a bimodal breeder, and like a lot of fish, they have that adaptation to breathe surface oxygen mm -hmm. and it gives them an advantage over other fish that don't have that so they kind of have a proclivity to stay in in environments that are advantageous to them as uh not really an active predator but as uh an opportunist mm -hmm. so in an environment where they have that advantage over other fish is like you know let's say you roll into a backwater louisiana bayou well, what's that environment like it's highly acidic black water low in oxygen, most common game fish and sport fish, like a largemouth bass, if given the opportunity to, to find a channel out of that, is going to leave that environment. They don't want to be there. They don't do well there. They get fatigued quickly in that hot water with low oxygen. They don't, they, they become sluggish. They just don't operate well in that environment when it gets hot enough. Uh, but the alligator guard does, and they are there to pick off the slower, weaker, injured unweary unintelligent just slow fish that is their purpose in that environment but you know if you roll in there with your grandpa to look for shell cracker or bass and you're not catching them and then you look over and this seven foot long terrifying looking animal with sharp teeth breaks the surface because it's one of those fish that tends to spend a lot of its time at the, at the top of the water column they're highly visible they're enormous. They're right there where you can see them. So if you're not catching the fish you want to catch and you look over and see these things everywhere, the mind stops thinking at that point. You put two and two together. Well, this thing ate everything. Mm. I mean, it, it only makes sense. That's what most surface level thinkers are going to, I mean, it's the conclusion that just only makes sense if you don't want to think a little deeper because <laughs> you look at it. I mean, that's what you think they're going to do. It all, I mean, this, it's a bloodthirsty killer. Yeah. Look at those teeth. Yeah. Look how nasty they look. Um, but what people aren't thinking of, well, the fish you want to catch, they're not there. They don't want to live in that. Uh, so that's the first thing. And that's where I think that that mentality uh, comes in. But the truth behind an alligator gar is they are a slow, 
mostly unathletic fish that's not equipped to, to pursue. It's not something that's going to chase down a, a high-speed fish. It's not like, you know, your typical, like your nice sport fish, right. not a sail, a sail fish that's right. bombing into a bait ball. They don't do that. They, their body structure is stiff. If something makes sharp turns, they, they're like a school bus turning. They just mm-hmm. they can't do it. What they do have is extraordinary, like short range speed, like within, like a striking range speed. It's not propulsionary speed. It is the ability to pull up beside something, and with unbelievable speed, uh, snap sideways and grab. Mm, okay. So it's my understanding, based off of what I read, the overwhelming majority of what they're eating is slow speed non-game species it's a gizzard shad it's mm-hmm. freshwater drum it's buffalo it's suckers it's catfish uh, i've looked at some studies where it was either you know first it's stomach content like where they're pumping the stomach physically pumping it and i read a study i wish i could cite it exactly very fascinating but they were having a sample you know a dozen gar before they found one that even had a single fish in its stomach really Huh. And what they're finding is that they can sustain themselves. And, and it makes sense when you start to think a little bit further back. This is a fish with the metabolism so slow. They can eat one three-pound fish in a month, and they're fine. Really? And it makes wow. sense because, well, you think, okay, well, that kind of speaks to their ability to have, to have lived for so long. Uh, going back so far, it's, it's a survival adaptation. Hmm. Uh, then there's like a, like this, I forgot what the term is should have written it down made notes for myself we're going to take a quick break and get right back to the show in just a moment it's like uh where they can pull like dna analysis out of the fish and and they can actually tell what they've been eating just from like these dna samples Hmm, okay and they're finding that like what you would typically consider like a sport fish or a popular game fish made up less than 10 percent of their overall diet they it's just not true Hmm. they are not voracious predators they barely ever eat when they do eat, it's overwhelmingly non-game species, and it's species of fish that are highly abundant. Hmm. So they're not making a dent in population in anything. Seems like that would also make them tough to catch on, on occasion. Like if they don't have to eat, then... They don't have to, but if given the opportunity, they will, if mm-hmm. that makes any sense. So it's their, their, again, their role in the environment is to take out the slow, the weak, and I guess you'd say the stupid. Mm-hmm. So it behooves you even furthermore if you're somebody who values that 10-pound bass, the big catfish, whatever, a big shell cracker. Uh, you know, evolution kind of dictates that fish in certain environments get bigger, faster, and stronger if they want to survive. The alligator gar is the one that's sitting behind them and pushing that growth rate, okay? So because the fish that are slower – uh, just genetically inferior fish that uh, are the ones getting picked off by the alligator gar. Right. So they're the ones that are ensuring that your more popular game fish are getting bigger, faster, and stronger because they have to if they want to get away from these fish. So if you were to take every single alligator gar out of the river, I believe it would have a catastrophic, maybe not catastrophic, it would have a it would it would do more harm than good because you think every fish that we know today the most popular fish they didn't even hit the first rung of the evolutionary ladder 
I mean, they did so during the already long-term established residency of the Alligator Gar. Mm. The Alligator Gar were here long before uh, uh, largemouth bass was even a blip on the radar on the evolutionary climb. Um, so when you think of it also in that terms, it's like, well, if this is a fish that negatively impacts the population of a fish like that, well, then how did they evolve in the first place? Right. Because they did so during the established residency of these fish. So, so that doesn't add up. Uh, and I think of that when, you know, I see people call them a trash fish. I'm like, you're so off base. Like, and for, it, not only are you off base, like, you kill all these gar, you ruin the, the, you know, the genetic strain of bigger, faster, and stronger fish. Yeah. That is their role in the environment, is to eliminate the weaker genetic strains of, of different fish and, and to create balance. Right. Everything that's in there evolved around the alligator gar. That's like the central species that was already there when they came up. So it's like the environment almost was built around them. Right. Um, it's like the first indigenous species of those rivers and everything else is built around them. The, the uh, you know, when you have introduced species, now that's a totally different deal. Where right. if you have a, a predatory introduced species that comes in and is is doing something like the lionfish in the Florida Keys. That is a very damaging, very damaging fish, and we should try to get them out. They don't have a place there. It doesn't, doesn't belong there. They're only damaging the, the ecosystem where uh, some kind of indigenous <laughs> fish, like an alligator gar, I can follow your points entirely. That, that absolutely should be there. Like it, right. That's well— there's not been nobody's really moving them around there are now efforts in place to restore them where historically they existed hmm. to begin with yeah because uh you know in years past i mean they were all throughout gulf coast or uh gulf coastal united states and rivers that feed into the gulf coast from texas louisiana all the way into florida and they still exist in florida but they're protected 100 percent protected you cannot even attempt to catch them in Florida. Completely illegal. Really? Uh, which is really cool and kind of frustrating. Part of me is like, man, that, that would make for a great photo. Like yeah. so much, you know, big oak trees or I mean, Spanish moss hanging down, that black water with, holding a big alligator gar. But anyway, may, maybe one day. Uh, but there's been reintroduction efforts in uh, all the way up into like Illinois and things like that. And the idea behind it or what you read in the headlines now is like, you know, talking about invasive species. Uh, the big one now is like the silver carp or the Asian carp, the ones that right. are jumping all in the rivers. Yes. And I've seen these headlines that kind of make me chuckle. Uh, you know, these alligator gar being introduced to control them. And I'm like, well, that's good because it's going to get people to kind of support our alligator gar. But they, they, there's nothing they can do. They're just not an active enough predator. They are not going to make a dent in that population but it's a good selling point you know it's going to get people on like team gar yeah but it, the reality is uh alligator gar there's nothing that they could do to slow those things down let's <clears> talk <throat> about um the the tactics and the techniques like what what uh what do you have to do for leader for these things and what what about um the hooks and the different you know you're using chunk bait and and fillet bait um what are the different rigs that you're using Sure, and and I know most people are probably listening to this, but I still I kind of like 
was like, I'm going to bring one of my gar rods in here. So this is like a, the typical setup that I've used uh, in the past. It's like, just uh, like a tarpon rod. Yep. What, what, for those of you that are just listening, what I'm holding up is just a, uh, it's like a seven foot uh, heavy action boat rod, ugly stick. I just mm -hmm. need something that could take a beating for me uh, in a pin spin fisher 8500 with a live line feature and that's really advantageous um, and i'll explain why in just a minute the leader here this is what you typically see in alligator gar fishing but it's not necessarily a requirement uh, it's just a nylon coated steel leader they're not too finicky to the bite there's not a lot that will trigger them into like the big ones usually won't drop a bait i mean mm -hmm. and that's like a size two watt treble hook yeah uh, that's typically what you'll see, and it's above that. What, what kind of wire is that? Is that coated wire? or, or... Yes, nylon coated, okay. but it doesn't have to be because I've actually got another example of the leader down here that's probably more the new age approach, a more uh, conservation-minded approach. Um, and then above that's just a, a pole float. Okay. Uh, because the thing with these alligator gar is, and, and here's uh, the other leader that I have. It's actually just... It's just straight braid, 200-pound braid or Dacron leader okay. is sufficient. Their teeth are not designed for cutting and slicing. They actually have – it's interesting. If you can find images <clears> – I wish I had some. Their teeth are almost barbed, not barbed like, like, you know, like what you'd see with a hook, but it's like the tip of the tooth is like pegged. Mm. Uh, it's like there's a slight cut into the tip of the tooth. So their teeth are made for like they bite and they hold and they just carry. So that's slicing, and you're not really at risk of having the teeth cut your line. Now their scales and their gill covers are really sharp. Oh, okay. So sometimes when they turn broadside, it's like chain mesh. There's a lot of flex to the scales. Like if they turn broadside, the scales will actually open and close. Hmm. Uh, and it's funny, because when you hold them, you know, you hold them, they're this big hard fish, and you release them, you look down and you're just bleeding. Really? So what the, the hell? Uh, yeah, the, 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 the scales will just cut into your flesh. Huh. <clears throat> and anyway, so this, this is actually, uh, you know, the idea behind this rig is this is just a three-aught bait holder hook, like a heavy gauge. Uh, so it seems like a small hook for, like, a 200-pound fish. But like I said, they're not an overwhelmingly powerful fish. They're not going to straighten that hook out. Uh, but what I did is you tie like a snail hook. It's basically like if you ever heard of a hair rig in carp fishing, mm -hmm. you actually secure the bait below the hook. So okay. what you do with this is you tie like a like a snail knot and leave some trace line and tie like a double loop knot on the end of that. And you can actually take like a, a meat style sewing needle. I wish I had one for example. I don't have any with me. Um, and you run it through the bait, come out the other side, and then you just take that loop double it over around the hook and the bait is hanging below the hook mm. so it's like it's kind of like that european style carp fishing rig for alligator gar so it's a chunk of meats hanging below that single hook and it's more than enough to land them and when you think about a big treble hook a lot of times with the alligator gar is when they grab a bait they don't immediately eat it their instinct is to grab hold and then they carry because they're waiting on the fish you know their mind is that if i open my mouth to chew it'll give it the opportunity to escape mm -hmm. so when you fish for them i like using the live liner and the pole float 
and these electronic bite alarms. What that allows me to do with these bite alarms is on a bank stick. Mm -hmm. And the bite alarm, you put the rod down on it, and the line runs through that bite alarm. And when, it, when, it, when they take it with the live line on, it allows the line to kind of peel through that alarm, and it gives a loud, audible, like high-pitched tone. Mm -hmm. And we mm -hmm. usually have – I have a set of four, and each – uh, bite alarm is like color coded. There's like red, yellow, blue, and green. Um, and then there's like a handheld receiver. That's this one. So you can set these rods up if you have a boat or a canoe, or in some rare instances, if there's bank space, you can set the rods up and space them way out and cover a, a big range of the river uh, and set them on the bite alarms. Uh, because when they pick it up and they run with it, the handheld receiver, like it, it'll start beeping and it like like the blue light will start flashing and mm -hmm. lets you know which rod has a take okay uh but that what the alligator guard do is they don't immediately eat and swallow they pick it up and they like they'll just carry the bait it's painstaking it's infuriating and you know with any other type of fishing you know your mindset is that when something bites you know it's like you get so conditioned as an angler that when something bites you're supposed to set the hook mm -hmm. with an alligator guard you have to follow them and a lot of times what they'll do, I've noticed the pattern, it's like they'll pick up the bait and they'll go way downstream. Then they'll settle like on the side of the river in like, a, like an eddy pool or wherever they decide is the most convenient place to sit there and actually begin eating. So you're, you're following that pole float, usually with a canoe is what we've always used, or a boat, and you stay right above the fish. They don't get too scared. Like you can safely follow right above them. Um, and you follow them downriver. They usually go downriver. They settle. And then it's the point that they begin going back upriver is typically when it's safe to set the hook. Hmm. You try to set the hook right when they bite it, you're going to lose a lot of fish yeah. because their their mouth is just it's just straight bone. There's occasions where you can make it happen. And if you're getting enough action, it's almost worth doing just for the sake of the fish. Because when you let them swallow the hook, especially with a treble hook, it's not good. I mean, it's not good for the fish to leave a treble right. hook in their throat. And what a lot of people do historically was just, you know, you let them swallow it, and you cut it off, and you're like, oh, yeah, it's going to rust out. <coughs> I don't think that's reality. <clears throat> and even if it is reality with a treble hook, you might have two points of contact, but that, you know, that third hook is sitting there impeding them from swallowing other right. fish. Like, yeah, what sure. they're trying to eat is going to get caught on that. So what I started using, and it isn't pretty, but what I'm holding is just like a little PVC pipe that I cut a slit down the length mm -hmm. of the pipe. Mm -hmm. So I would take that and run it through the line, and you just push the pipe down. You pull tight on the line above the pipe, and you push it down their throat until it hits that hook. And you just dislodge it, and you can typically pull it out fairly easily. Yeah. The good thing is, like, when you land them, they can stay out of the water if they stay wet for a long period of time. I mean, you can keep them out of the water for 15 minutes, no problem. They're, wow. you know, they just lay there. Um, their ability to kind of like breathe oxygen helps, but you know, you want to keep them wet. Uh, it's better to keep them partially submerged, obviously, but you know, you have to keep yourself safe because for the most part, they're pretty docile when you land them. But when they get swinging, it's like that head is like, getting hit with a baseball bat oh, I'm sure. wrapped with barbed wire. I'm uh, sure. Is there a reason, do you want to bring them in the boat, or is it better just to keep them no, in the water? I, I don't like to bring them in the boat because, right. I mean, it's just destructive. Like, right. 
there was one year it was so stupid i don't know what we were thinking <laughs> me and my uh my brother because like you know we were using a canoe <laughs> and uh we had gone to the opposite bank to to catch one you know we set the, the rods up on different banks and we'd gone to the opposite bank and and landed a, a nice one it was like i don't know it was a six and a half footer and uh but the camera was over on the other side of the river we thought we had better lighting over there it was just like you know, one side of the river is mud. The other side of the river was like these big stones mm-hmm. that, you know, mm-hmm. look better in photos. So it's like, well, you know, let's, let's just put this alligator guard in the bottom of the canoe and go across the river. Mm-hmm. Oh, I, it was, that was a disaster putting that thing in the canoe because it, uh, it started thrashing, but it was like, you know, in a canoe, you got to maintain balance. Right. And this is a 115 pound weight and it's sliding. Like, even when it wasn't thrashing, you know, if we slightly tilted left or right, its whole body was hmm. sliding. So we almost didn't make it to the other side of the river. So definitely would not recommend in a canoe, even in a boat, <clears throat> you can do it. Just don't put your favorite rod down there next to it because right. it might get smashed. It might get, it might smack your leg or something up. What we'll usually do, like, especially if it's a bigger one, you actually lasso the fish. So, uh, you know that's a, that's another kind of obstacle is you can't grab them by the mouth i know we were talking about a tarpon or any other fish you, you ain't grabbing an alligator guard by the mouth you're not even going to grab them by like the gill covers because the bill extends up here it's, yeah, it's no good right. way to grab them they don't have anything really to grab hold of um so you actually will use like a lasso we made a snare pole and uh you run it you know down the uh, you know basically run your rod through it run the loop down your line around its head and beyond its pectoral fins the the rope should go under like their their pec fin mm-hmm. uh pits because you don't want it to go into the gills right. when you cinch down but you know we would normally especially with a bigger one sometimes a smaller one you bring it in the boat no big deal bigger ones just a little more of a, a hazard it's just a pain in the tail to get them in the boat and it's a pain to get them out of the boat yeah um, so we normally just yeah we normally just lasso them and crank up the motor or a trolling motor and tow them to shore. You're in a river. You're not. Mm-hmm. You're never too far from the bank. <clears throat> Get out and handle them from there. But uh, yeah. Now what about the uh, the the rig that you have that um, you have the the piece of line down and you're going around the bait and then back up to the to the hook. Why would you do that as opposed to just like a, a, if you had a fillet bait like we do often shark fishing in the keys or whatever we just hook it at the very tip of that bait you know so that the bait is not impeding the hook gap but that's an interesting way to do it and maybe it would be good for our for some of our fishing like that why well why, the thing why is do you do that the alligator gar's not as weary of the hook i mean i think most fish with that with a sensitive bite that detect that are gonna you know you're gonna get it drops you're gonna right. get bait drop they don't care i mean we can have a big treble hook sticking out they'll just chew on it <clears throat> so it's it's partially is that but then it's also just having that hook full exposure mm-hmm. with nothing impeding it embedding into the bony structure of the mouth they feel that hook they're not normally going to drop it <clears throat> so that's that's really the big part of that um you know that they, they just have a weird structured mouth because some people are like well if you're worried about gut hooking and why don't you just use a circle hook but a circle hook by design is just not made for an alligator, I know, I know people who've done it, and I know people that have caught them with circle hooks. But you think a, a circle hook, when you engage the fish, it's going to travel, the you know, 
uh, in the direction that the line goes around the corner of the mouth. <clears throat> if that trace line or the a line above the hook is in between two of the teeth, it's going to pull out towards the teeth. It's not going to pull out towards the corner of their mouth. Mm. It's not. It's not effective. So you almost have to let them swallow the hook, but that smaller single J style hook, it's much easier to get out, much easier to dislodge. And, you know, if by chance you can't get it, you feel a, le a little less guilty to, to cut it loose if right. you have to. But, you know, you should make every effort to get the hook out of their mouth. It's just, it is not easy. It's dangerous. I like that tool Sometimes you they made though. That tool you made with the PVC pipe, that's pretty good. That's it's, very similar it's a to... Little, it's a little ghetto, but it gets the job done. Well, it's it, just, would, uh... it would work in a lot of... You could put a, a different kind of handle on the end of that, like a T-handle on the end of that, and it'd be pretty slick. Um, that is... Uh, you know, we have we have these long hook extractors that we use, which similar to that, um, but that that's a really good idea, what you had there, just a PVC pipe with a... With a, a, a gap cut all the way lengthwise the line goes through the the pvc pipe uh that way and uh or so you just put it on top of the line the line goes yep. into the pvc pipe and then you just push down, down and uh yeah that would work for a lot of a lot of saltwater fishing applications too that's a really good uh really good little tool it, it, it works really well and if they bite it it's not you know you know it doesn't cause really any issue with, you know, right part pipe but uh Getting them to open their mouth is a little tough sometimes. If they don't want to open their mouth, like you, you're going to have a damn hard time convincing <laughs> them to. Uh, and, and, you know, just working around that, it's it's spooky. It's scary, but it's it's worth it. Uh, I've never had any terrible injuries with mm -hmm. it. Um, I know people that have, but. What I about um, setting expectations for a, for a trip like this if someone were to where to go, try it themselves, or go with a guide. Um, is a good day, you know, like a good day of tarpon fishing, I say if you hook a fish, that's a great day. If you land a fish, that's awesome. Some days you land some, some days you don't. But, you know, the the expectation is kind of like <coughs> if you hook one, that's that's really good. Then you have other fish like the Jack Cravel. You know, you could expect to catch quite a few of those. What about when it comes to these extraordinarily large um uh, alligator gar what what is kind of a realistic expectation i mean of course you can not catch any uh just like you could with any fish but um what what if if you get into them or you're going with somebody that knows what they're doing is it realistic to hook one a day or land one or or yeah, multiple there, fish or what is it what are we looking there at? are some some really talented guides down there uh that it's it's virtually a guarantee you're going to catch them if you go with somebody that knows the rivers that already has the bait that already has the gear and has the local knowledge with the alligator gar, especially I would venture to say it's as close to 100% guarantee you're going to catch one as you can get. Hmm. You can't guarantee you're going to find the big ones, but you'll catch the fish. And in my experience with them, getting them to bites never been hard. The challenge for me as somebody that does it DIY is, is getting the bait, hmm. being able to find the bait. It's not that is usually, the hardest part of the whole trip hmm. uh, you need probably a watercraft to get to them because it's not like those rivers it, i use the trinity river especially as the example because that's really i mean that's the premier destination and most of those rivers even like the red river is very similar there's not a lot of access uh to get in there on foot 
And if you are on foot, the chances are you're trespassing on somebody's cattle ranch. Yeah. Uh, and if you do find ground to stand on, the chances are it's not going to be solid ground. It's sinky, it's mushy, horrible, like, ground to stand on. Most of that terrain out there is extremely difficult to walk around on. It's either jagged rocks on a steep slope, so it's very uncomfortable, or it's thorny bushes, or it's soft, sinky mud. It's not a fun experience. You're not going to be you're not going to be covering ground on foot out there. Uh, it's just seldom going to happen. And if you do find bank space out there that you can walk on, it's probably overpressured by other people that have found that hmm. <laughs> that yeah. found that area. But the hardest part of it is getting the bait. So knowing where to do that, the best like you know, I have a lot of people reach out to me from all over the world. That first and foremost asked me to take them. I'm like, I'm not a guide, but I can tell you if you want to do it yourself. To me, it's a lot more fulfilling uh, to get it done yourself. It's just that's what I like to do. I, mm-hmm. I like to to read about it and try to do it myself. But um, at the same time, if you want to guarantee a catch, the, the guide is going to be the way to do it. But doing it yourself, you got to game plan almost more heavily about where you're going to get bait mm-hmm. than where you're going to get the fish. The Trinity River is loaded with alligator gar all 700 miles of it from dallas all the way down to where it feeds into the ocean like in houston they're in the entirety of the river some areas more so than others uh but you'll find the gar you you probably can't travel more than a mile down river to finding a bend there's you're gonna see some fish rolling wow but finding the bait is the hard part because it's almost like it almost, if you don't have a net, like a, if you can't throw a cast net and you don't know where to throw the net, it almost like forces you to become kind of good at being, uh, kind of being good at carp fishing or buffalo fishing. So what we found out or one common tactic is we actually use range cubes, which is basically like it's cattle feed. They're like pellets. It almost okay. looks like, like, you know, it looks like a rabbit feed pellet okay. on a bigger scale, maybe, yeah. maybe about as big as like into your pinky yeah yeah i've seen those um and for whatever reason the buffalo and the carp go crazy for that stuff so you can either use that as bait or you can use it as a fish attractant if you're going to throw your net um so we would either dump it in an area where we knew the good thing is the buffalo actually roll kind of the same way the guard do so it's like you know you get visual confirmation of where the fish are because they break the surface so it takes a lot of the guesswork out of it Mm mm-hmm um, which is re- really convenient because you're not going to see them in the water. So there's no visibility out there. Um, but what I typically tell people if you want to get bait is stop at one of the local dams or spillways because that's where the most oxygenated water within miles is going to be. It's just a, a magnet for shad, for basically everything. You go to any of those spillways, there's usually carp and buffalo below because it's kicking up all the sediment. It's kicking up mm-hmm. all the things that they're feeding on. In like East Texas, any of the lakes uh, or small spillways around there, they generally going to have some carp or buffalo below them. Unfortunately, there's rocks, there's tree limbs. Yeah, it seems like a there's, tough place to throw a net. There's things, yeah, there's things that's going to take your net away. Uh, but in some instances, it's also better water clarity below those dams for whatever reason. So, do you throw a big net or a little net? No, I throw because I, I you're like sight. A lot of the times I'm like throwing it like I'm like sight casting on top mm-hmm, of them. Right. You know, especially the buffalo, you'll find them cruising in a foot of water hmm. and they're like black. So you can see them 
but you need like a small net because they're usually near a rock or they're always on like the backside of a limb. Okay. They're always like behind a current break. A lot of suckers are like that. So he's like, you got to throw it right on top of them. Um, and if you don't do it like that, it's normally you find a spot that you can dump the attractant, whether it's cans of corn or rabbit food works or creek pellets or cattle feed works really well for whatever reason. You dump it in an area and you kind of mark or know where you dumped it, come back in an hour and throw your net on top of it. You might get some bait. Um, so that's always like the hardest part. Like you've got to have, and you got to be able to keep the bait fresh. It doesn't need to be alive. But, you know, a lot of people think that an alligator gar is just stupid fish. Like, it, you know, it kind of goes back. Like, if you put a, a drumstick on the bottom, mm-hmm. I don't know. I'm very skeptical. I don't think it would work. Maybe they pick it up. Well, the same thing like, happens they, with sharks. Like, a lot of people think you shark fish with the old, nasty, gross chum. And it's not that way at all. A shark wants the freshest kill right. that there is. So, like, if you go out there with a bunch of old, frozen chum you i mean yeah they'll they'll come in sometimes but nothing like if you have a really fresh jack crevel or barracuda or something like that because that's that's what they're that's that's what they want they want all that fresh blood they want a fresh kill they come in and and that's that's what they want and that's a big mistake with shark fishing is thinking that you can get it done with really gross chum like it's not that way at all it's it's the other way it it's needs to be the freshest before we wrap up our conversation, we're going to take one final break. You right back. Right. It's 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 the same way with the alligator. You'll get bites on old bait. Sometimes, I mean, I've had trips where it, the, getting the bait, like finding bait was so hard, and that's all we had, but it was like you get more drops. You get them just turning their nose up. Mm. Part, honestly, I think that's a big part of the reason we didn't do well that first year when we didn't got to the bait. Red River after three days. We had old bait. Because mm-hmm. <clears throat> like I said, they're rolling all around. But anyway, so once you get bait, I feel like at that point, the hardest part's over. From there, if you can get that bait in front of the fish, nine times out of ten, like they're gonna they're gonna pick it up. Um, and what I try to tell people is, usually where you can find those isolated deeper holes, that's where the alligator gar hang out. So you might find that deep hole. I wouldn't necessarily put the bait in that hole though. They're usually on like the sandy flat above that hole or below mm-hmm. that hole. Okay. That's where they feed. Um, and more often than not, they'll be within 30 feet of the bank. You, you might see them rolling in the middle. Best spot to put the bait is fairly close to shore. I don't know. That's like that's where they're really kind of hunting or looking for food sources. Hmm. So you stay above or below. The other reason for not putting it in, you know, in the hole, normally where I look for the deeper waters and those rivers is they're, they're real sparse where the deeper water is. But like I said, usually on those sharp bends, that's where the deep hole gets carved out. Yeah, It's always like you go to those holes and like there's bluff there, like the straight drop down into the water on the outside of the curve. And then the other side of the bank is like this nice, easy yeah, right. slope. Right. So I'll, you know, I'll typically put my baits either on the inside of that turn or the, where the nice sandy sloping bank is or on the you know the sandy flat above that hole or below it because it's it's just not smart to put the bait down in the hole because that's also the depository for you know when these floods happen like i said they're 
they're violent floods and they're ripping whole trees away. Mm. They're ripping debris away. That's where all that debris is settling. Yes. You know, it's like a boneyard. It's, mm -hmm. it's, you don't want to put a bait down there on like right where that hole is. Cause that's where all the crap on the bottom is. Right. right. Um, and they'll take you into that stuff. And it's terrible because it's, that's, that's part of the challenges when they take the bait, you're sort of at the mercy of where they want to go if you want to land the fish. And that's why that float is important because you can monitor where they're going mm -hmm. and, and the direction they're traveling. And, and it just, it's just kind of par for the course. It's going to happen. They'll take you, and this is kind of fun. I've done it many times. They'll take you under these branches, and you're not going to get them back out of the branch. You won't muscle them back through it. Yeah. So there's been many times where that's happened. And, you know, I've got like a bobber stop, a little rubber bobber stop up above the float. And I try to put that, you know, a ways up the line. But unfortunately, sometimes when they do that, you'll literally have to cut the line, tie a, like a double uh, overhand knot or something that's not going to go through that float mm -hmm. and cut them off. Mm -hmm. And you basically let them swim through the snag out the other side. You wait on the float to come back up. Then you catch up to it. And you have to try to tie like a, a uni to uni knot yeah. while that thing's moving, mm -hmm. like reconnect with the fish and then engage them. It's, <clears throat> it's a lot of fun. In fact, the last trip I took uh, this past September, I went out there with a buddy of mine, Josh Dolan. He's another dude's just a phenomenal angler. And, uh, and we went out there cause we were, we were doing some filming. Like we wanted to make a really cool alligator gar video and that's yet to be like, released but man we, we got some amazing shots we got some really cool stuff on film but uh we had one fish a fish of mine uh you know we had a take on the other bank and he had like some engine issues or something on his boat he towed it all the way from virginia brought his boat it <laughs> just road tripped all the way out there and uh we had like some kind of throttle issue on his engine and my line's just going it's just going i see my float going into all this timber i'm like oh god we're gonna lose this fish but we finally got the boat running. I don't know what he did. He like jammed a screwdriver in there and got it to work. <laughs> but we caught up to the fish and it it got through the tree. We had to cut the line, let it go through. Well, the float never came up. Uh -oh. And like when that happens, like your stomach sinks. You're like, oh my gosh, like this fish is, you know, <clears throat> one, it could be like a 200 pounder. It could be like the fish of a lifetime. But two, you know, it's trailing a hundred yards of line behind it. That's, right. that's It is at the peril like of imminent death if that line gets wrapped around something i'm using a 150 pound braid it's not going to break through it it's not it's it's that fish is doomed basically mm -hmm. and we went up and down river up and down river for hours and could not find the float and so i was like oh this is awful the first time it ever happened to me so we just ended the day we were out there for a week fishing for him just camping grinding it out it was a it was an awesome trip but we went out there the next day and we were heading up river past the area of incident. We were going to, you know, fish another bend. And the whole time you're like looking and hoping. And we, we were like a mile and a half up river from where it happened. And, and then he points it and he says, I see the float. <laughs> and we see the float going up river and we found the fish the wow. next day. It was like the whole day later. Wow. Tied up cool. to it. Yeah. We, we retied to it and ended up catching the fish. It was only like an 80 pounder, but <clears throat> it felt good to at least get that one back uh but i mean if you look at my reels they're just worthless like there's so many <laughs> i have so many knots in my reel of times i've had to 
to cut and retie, cut and retie, cut and retie. And I'm not too scared about it weakening the line because, like I said, it's it's not a super powerful fish. Um, you know, it's just my reels are a mess. They're good for nothing but gar fishing. But yeah, but uh, that's pretty, pretty awesome, cool. man. That's a that's a really um, interesting fishery and one that I would definitely like to. I'd really like to try that out. Um, the Trinity River, I've heard about that a lot of times in Texas. I'm sure there's plenty of other places that uh, that you could fish for these <coughs> fish. But what a what a great experience and a, and a cool fish and and certainly one that should be on people's bucket list if you're if you're a collector of species like like I am. I like to catch species as much as I like to catch you know big fish or or, or whatever. I like to you know experience these different different fish and different species right. and it's and, uh and catch those it's just kind of fun whatever size they are well to me it's like a it's like a no man it's just i don't know it i get so caught up on there's like this weird like inst, almost institutional reluctance to accept different kinds of fish and it's like it's almost a, it's almost like a a culture issue specific to like um, the american angler and I, it, it kills yeah. me yeah because it's like it, it, it but you've seen it um change in in i mean the the most um the one that comes to mind immediately is the difference between a giant trevally and a jack Crevel. and the giant trevally is worldwide uh renowned as one of the greatest sport fish there are on the planet and the jack Crevel is thought of as a <coughs> trash fish and they're they're close cousins the giant trevally is definitely bigger definitely more aggressive and definitely uh can 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 be more impressive right i get it but most of the time when you go to places where they're you're you're fishing or let me just say where i have fished for giant trevally they're really not a lot bigger than any of the jack crevels that i've ever caught and yeah. i'm thinking I could come here and catch one of these, or I could go <coughs> to the panhandle of Florida and catch 50 of these. And why do people not like them? I don't, I don't understand why people don't like them. Um, but, you know, uh, YouTube has, has made the uh, Goliath grouper much more popular than it, than it was before, you know, people like Josh and Black Tip H were fishing for them so, so yeah. often. And now, now <coughs> they're thought upon, thought upon differently. The first time I ever went to Christmas Island, we did not fish for the trigger fish, and they were they were frowned upon. Like, oh, it's just a trigger fish. Don't worry about that. The second time I went there, they had pioneered that fishery, and now the trigger fish was was like a real uh, trophy to catch, and they they were fun. But I just think that I don't know. I'll fish for whatever. I, I really have yeah. no no <coughs> issues fishing for something that is. And, and in fact, the more obscure and weird the the species kind of the more i'm drawn to it a little bit but mm -hmm. as far as the kids go you know the story you talked about with the aquarium that has absolutely been the case with almost every kid i've ever had on on the boat including my own where you take them fishing and you catch a box fish or a cow fish or something and they're fascinated with this fish it's just the coolest thing they've ever seen or an eel or a blowfish or something like that is just the coolest thing they've ever seen. Then you catch them a, a bonefish, and they look at it and they go, "Yeah, silver. Right. <laughs> it's it's all silver. Yeah. It has no interesting colors on it whatsoever. Um, can we catch more of those boxfish? You know, or or whatever yeah. it is. Like they want to catch <clears throat> a tropical fish or a trigger fish or a or an angel fish or any kind of fish that, that yeah. is that is colorful and interesting and 
and uh i don't know i'm kind of like a kid it's, like that i like yeah, i like the different fish it's it's definitely a fish that i think has turned begun at least to turn that corner i mean it, it's much more it's a fascinating fish and you see a lot more people traveling to go catch them but uh yeah with the kid thing it's like you know when when a kid gets starry-eyed and excited about something like that you know you've got an opportunity there to either cultivate that or kill that spirit right <clears throat> So it's like, to me, it's like, it's so irresponsible. And because I, the thing is, I, I know this because I was that kid, basically. I didn't grow up, like we all fished in my family, but it wasn't, there's no, I think I was the first like diehard angler. I mean, we all fished, but I remember when I first started seeing gar, there were a lot of long nose gar. And I was like, oh man, that thing is cool looking. There, it didn't, the voices came in quickly. Uh, you know, oh, those things are nasty. They stink. They're trash fish. They're poisonous. It's crazy stuff. I'm like, so I, you know, it's like I hit that like, proverbial crossroads as an angler. I was like, oh well, well, you know, if you're the impressionable type, it's like you just killed that spirit. Mm -hmm. You just killed that uh, energy. So it's like that's what kills me. But I mean, the alligator gar sells itself. And the the funny thing is, a lot of people don't know that there are numerous species of gar it's like when you say gar everybody kind of just there's like a ne you know by and large across across the board there's a mostly negative stigma mm -hmm. because people just lump them all into the same category because you know hell i'm gonna be the first to admit down here in south florida you know our little florida gar they're hell they're everywhere yeah. they're annoying you know it's like they're, they're pesky and they're all over the place uh, <clears throat> but it was funny and i get a chuckle out of it Everyone down here calls them alligator gar. I'm like, that's not an alligator gar. Why do you? Those things don't get more than two feet long. They're tiny. <clears throat> but I mean, it, it's a seven foot long predator, and they will take artificial lures because you know I know we talked about bait fishing for them. This is a fish that will take artificials. You can catch them on hard plastics. Huh. It is the biggest predator in all of fresh water on the North American continent. So it's just like, you know. If if you have a bucket list of fish to catch, you want to catch the fastest, the strongest, the most beautiful, the type that put you in mountain ranges and things like that. Well, I would think on most people's list, the first question you're going to ask is, well, what's the biggest? Well, that's the biggest. That is the one. You like, oh man, I just, I know your big one is, and you're the same with me is is like the Arapaimo. And I think part part of the allure is is that you're in the jungles yeah. and it's the Amazon. Uh, the other part of that is just you know it's giant friends. Oh, you can fish, fly fish like, for them too. That's that's <clears> kind of a draw. Is that you know they're similar to the tarpon in a lot of ways in in yeah. some of the things that they do, and you can you can catch them on fly, and you could probably catch alligator gar on fly too. I'm you sure can. You probably could. I haven't done it. There's videos of people out there doing it. It's you have to find, and this is kind of important to note. I didn't talk about this either, uh, and I'll try to tie this back into the fly fishing thing, but. With alligator gar, and you talk about a fish that can, can can take over, and I saw this recently, and it really upset me. There was, a, I won't say like you know, call out names. People don't know any better. There's a very large outdoors media platform that you see in like social media that had posted, uh, you know, the depiction of some dead ones that somebody shot with bow and arrow. I have no personal issue with 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 bow fishing. It's fine. I'll never question how somebody harvest game 
to be used for a practical and reasonable purpose. But you get these people that get up in arms. I hate it because it's like, you know, don't don't get crazy with it and say, oh, you, you should bow fish them. Bow fishing's terrible and this and that. Uh, but the this account had justified the reason for doing so at, like like as it was conservation for other fish. Hmm. They're overpopulated and they're taking over. I'm like, well, hang on a minute now. Like, you, you got to stop. If you had just said we did this because we're eating them or because it's fun, that's fine. But don't lie and perpetuate this myth that this is a fish that has the propensity to take over. Hmm. <clears throat> when you talk about an alligator gar, this is a fish that the big spawning females, they don't reach an age, uh, reproductive age, until they are 10 years old. A largemouth bass can spawn within the first calendar year of being born. Alligator gar have to make it 10 years wow. before they're even capable of spawning. Furthermore, uh, and, and they had also said something like, oh, they have toxic eggs. That is partially true. They do have toxic eggs. The eggs are toxic for mammals and basically non-fish. It's a survival adaptation. Alligator gar do not protect their fry. They don't build a nest. They don't escort fry around. Those eggs are on their own from the time that they are laid. They have to have some kind of mechanism to make it, you know, so it's, that's fine. But again, they got to make it 10 years before they can reproduce. Hmm. The young are on their own from day one. When they're born, this is a fish that can be eight feet long. When they're born, they're barely bigger than your thumbnail. Hmm. They are tiny, tiny fish. Uh, and the crazy thing with alligator gar is they don't just spawn. Like they can't be in the middle of a river during a drought spawning. The Trinity River is interesting because those fish will go years between spawn cycles, even really? the ones that are capable of spawning, if there's not a flood. It really? has to flood. They wow. have to have access to flooded fields they because they spawn in vegetation. So if that river stays at like a, a low drought level, mm -hmm. uh, those fish just won't spawn. Wow. They won't spawn for years. Uh, so it is you. They're more at risk of being severely negatively impacted if they get over-harvested. They can't keep up. They, they can't sustain being killed in droves because, you know, we you see the images online and, yeah, it's, you know, if you look at any kind of media, you can paint things in a picture that looks real bad. But it, it looks bad when you see those images of a boat loaded with alligator gar because it's, it's not like a long-nosed gar. It's not like a spotted gar. It's not like a carp. You start taking out big spawning females and by the dozens, it, they can't catch back up. They just can't do it. Yeah. It's going to take the young too long to reach that uh, reproductive maturity. Then once they do reach the maturity, they have to wait on the river to crest to a point where they can access these flooded fields. That is where you see a lot of these awesome videos online of people now fly fishing for them. You see them fly fishing for them in flooded fields, and it's so cool. It's something I'd love to wow, try. Wow, that would be uh, interesting. Yeah, because they, they can sight fish them, sight cast at them. Really cool, but it's like, ah, man, how many windows do you get to do that? Um, but I think this is just a theory. I mean, I'm, I'm just a fisherman. But <clears throat> I think that's part of the reason the alligator gar are much bigger in the Trinity River than they are. There's a lot of alligator gar in Louisiana, but you just aren't seeing as many of those giant ones. And I think it's because, you know, the smaller, less mature fish, 
they make it to reproductive age, even at a small age, they're spawned. Hmm. You know, so the Trinity River ones is like they got to get bigger and bigger and bigger before they're even able to hit that spawn cycle. Uh, but in like Louisiana bayous, they always are in vegetation. They're always around. You know, I think they're just spawning more frequently. So you see more fish, but you don't see a lot of, you know, you don't see as many of the big ones. Every now and then, though, it's, to me, it's interesting. I don't know. It's like every few years you see one of those, like, random, like, you know, those rare, like, 300-pound class mm. fish. It happens. And they're always in, like, uh, you know, the Mobile Delta and areas in, like, Alabama. It's like, wow, you know, I wouldn't have thought that. But uh, I don't know. It's, it's interesting. But, again, you talk about a fish taking over. They just – they can't do it. They don't do it. It's not true. They have very specific, like favorable circumstances that, that, that they excel in. But the idea that they're just going to eradicate everything and overpopulate, well, they've had 150 million years <laughs> to do that, and they still haven't done it. They haven't it's, done it yet. So it's, it's, a, it's just not true. It's just yeah. it's highly visible. I mean, they're highly visible fish. A seven-foot gar rolling is... You know, you're going to yeah. see that. You don't see all the life below the surface. I'll so. tell you what, they're 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 a very interesting fish, and you've you've done a really good job of painting the picture of of what they do. I, I learned a ton um, from talking to you about about the fish, and and it makes me want to fish for them even more. So uh, that's that's uh, great, man. I appreciate you coming on and and talking to us so much about the 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 alligator gar. If people wanted to connect with you or see more of your stuff, what would they do? Yeah, I, I'm not you know, huge on social media, but you can find me, um, on Instagram. It's, uh, boundless pursuit, just one word, no hyphenated, just boundless pursuit. Um, I've also got a personal website. That's where probably most of my content goes. Now, Instagram is just an online photo album. Uh, but my website is www.boundless-pursuit.com. That's where I do all my blogging, my writing, informative articles, trip reports, all the media, um, you know, photos, things like that. Uh, and so there's emails associated with that website. People can message me on Instagram. I try to share as much information as I can. There's a lot of, you know, there's not a lot out there with, with some of these non-game species. And I, and I do a lot beyond just alligator gar. Uh, but, you know, that seems to be like, you know, that's always like that one that's got the eye appeal. That's yeah. usually where, you know, if I get a random messages nine times out of ten, it's about, alligator gar so they're, they're cool uh, fish but, man yeah i hope to do that with you one day uh we'll go get one of those big ones or or yeah um, you, you could go with a guide or i'd be happy to take you for free yeah so well, both <laughs> I, I i'd like to do both um i i think that it would be really cool um that's definitely a fish that's on my on my list and i certainly learned a lot about them today so thanks for that and um you guys should check him out go check out uh his website and uh, social media and you you won't believe some of these fish that are on his Instagram. Massive, massive, massive alligator gar. It's really cool. Appreciate that. David, thank you, man. That was awesome, and uh, we'll do it again. Thank you. It was an honor to be on here with you, man. All right. Thank you. All right. See you guys next week.